It's just not possible to gain that much in value that quickly with declining revenue. And that's when I really had the epiphany that investing was not about stocks and bonds. Investing is about innovation. The belief is if there's a new piece of information, that it will be instantly incorporated into the price of the stock or the bond or whatever. But that's not how people change their minds. Welcome back. I'm Hayden Brain, and you're listening to Opto Sessions, where we interview the top traders and investors from around the world, uncovering their secrets to success. Pedro Palandrani is Director of Research at GlobalX. With around $43 billion of AUM and GlobalX ETFs listed worldwide, and 36 funds in their thematic growth suite, GlobalX are a thought leader in this space and provide one of the most comprehensive product offerings around. The thematic growth funds cover three broad trends, disruptive technology, people and demographics, and the physical environment. Funds from across this universe include a metaverse ETF, an aging population fund, and a robotics and artificial intelligence ETF. We discussed the exponential age and how society is at an inflection point for technological innovation. We discuss how GlobalX identify trends and decide which ETFs to bring to market, and finish with Pedro's take on the next big idea. And remember, to receive a roundup of Opto's best content every day, Subscribe to our newsletter by clicking the link in the episode description. Enjoy. Welcome, Pedro. It's great to have you on the show. So how are things? Awesome. Thanks for having me. Things are great here in New York City. Uh, definitely a great day here. Sunny day, so can't complain. Yeah, great. All right. Well, um, I want to get into uh, the exponential age. That's going to be a focus of today's interview along with uh, GlobalX's research and investment process. Uh, but before we do, and and perhaps as by way of introduction, uh, I've got an intro question. Uh, and that is, are we at or nearing a truly unique point in time where the acceleration of technological innovation will present an unprecedented investment opportunity, in your opinion? That's a great way to, to start. And I think we really are. If we step back for a second here, I think, and I've always said that uh, the greatest failing of the human mind is probably the inability to understand the exponential function, right? If you even go back in history, uh, more than 2,000 years ago, Socrates, one of the great Greek philosophers, he, he even feared about the development of writing. He believed that as people started relying more on writing, they essentially would become forgetful. He couldn't really foresee that writing and reading could essentially serve as tools to spread information, to spur new ideas, to expand human knowledge. So I think something similar is happening today where I think it's hard for many people to believe that maybe in 15 years we'll have autonomous vehicles all around us or that probably and hopefully we're going to find uh, targeted therapies to different types of cancers, just to name you know, a few examples. I think we're really at a point in time where multiple technological developments are converging at a faster pace than ever. And especially given the fact that we have so many different um, general purpose technologies, right? You can think about artificial intelligence, you can think about blockchain technology, you can think about internet of things, cloud computing, so many others that essentially could disrupt every single industry that we can think about. And I think just now we're seeing how rapid adoption can happen. If we look at 
uh, open AI's uh, chat GPT, essentially they're reaching 1 million users in, in just five days as we speak, right? So I think that's really kind of that exponential nature of adoption of new technological developments. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's dig into that then, because I think you recently spoke to Azim Azar, author of The Exponential Age. Um, anyone that hasn't read it, it's the 2021 Financial Times best book of the year, so definitely worth a read. So firstly, why were you so keen to talk to Azim? I haven't seen that interview yet. I saw it mentioned on your uh, Twitter feed or Global X's Twitter feed. So why were you so keen to speak to Azim? It's coming out quite soon, uh, hopefully. Um, first of all, the Exponential Age book is really a phenomenal book. I, I, I highly recommend it. In, in the book, Azim really talks about how technology is evolving so fast and what are the, the, the implications for us as a society. Really, again, really fascinating book. And um, why we were keen to talk to Asim, I think very easy, right? He's fascinating. I think we've been following him for, for many years now. We've been reading his Exponential View uh, newsletter. And very quickly, I guess, I realized how aligned our beliefs are around the idea of this exponential concept and the fact that changes are happening very rapidly. They're happening right in front of our very eyes and that we as society and as technologists and as investors, we need to start thinking about the many paradigm shifts that are happening in our economy, right? And how can we really approach those different opportunities? I think just to give you an example, um, if we think about Internet of Things or IoT, I think that's one area where we essentially have a convergence of technologies that have been with us for the last 10 years or so. And just now we're starting to see really what's the power of all of that convergence of, of different technologies, right? And I think what's impressive and interesting from the point of view of, of, of an investor is how IoT is really transforming different industries. Basically, this idea of tapping in the combined power of very inexpensive sensor devices, uh, very inexpensive remote networks as well, faster rise of cloud storage, and increasingly sophisticated algorithms that can really uh, analyze all of that data in real time and now starting to predict um, what could happen in the future. So that's just one example of how rapid things are accelerating in all of that convergence of uh, technological developments that are taking place in real time right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to to get into, I think, a few of those uh, individual themes later on in the interview. But before we do, I think the question that will be on listeners' minds is, is why this convergence is happening right now. And perhaps you can speak to any macro or even geopolitical tailwinds that are contributing to this phenomenon. Yeah, I think, um, you know, first of all, in innovation is uh, happening at a much rapid pace than, than ever. Like I mentioned before, that adoption of technology is really happening right in front of our very eyes. And we have a lot of uh, many macro level events that are really accelerating all of that disruption. So for example, just a few years ago, we had the pandemic. It really showed the world that we needed cloud computing solutions, that we needed genomic editing really to really tackle very rapidly the issues around COVID-19. And now we're just starting to see many different genomic applications because clearly COVID-19 it was just one of those applications where gene editing proved to be very powerful. So I think all of these macro-level events, even including the fact that we're moving from an outsourcing world, really something that started in the 1970s to more of a 
localized world where uh, we're seeing a lot of companies and countries uh, bringing back uh, supply chains and manufacturing capacity and how that accelerating, for example, robotics applications and Internet of Things applications in the manufacturing space. So I think all of these macro level events are really accelerating adoption of many of these technologies. Yeah, completely see what you mean. Okay, well, to quote then a particular part of Azim's book, um, technology is not exogenous to the other forces that define our lives. He says that it combines with political, cultural and social systems, often in dramatic and unforeseen ways. Um, I think that sparked a, potentially an interesting thought in my mind, at least. How do you then start as, as Global X to attempt to untangle a technology or a theme from those other factors to understand and ultimately capture its true investment potential or its true impact? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, if we step back for a second, uh, at Global X, we've been doing thematic investing for, for more than 10 years now. Our first thematic ETF was launched back in 2010. That was the, the lithium and battery technology ETF. If you think about it, lithium and battery technology is really aiming to capture the opportunities around electric vehicle technology, right? So we did that even way before electric vehicles really started to, to go mainstream or became a reality. At the same time, you know, in 2011, we launched our social media ETF that was even before Facebook, now Meta Platforms ipo So our idea and something that it's been really in our DNA is to offer unique and intelligent solutions to our clients. And, and that really means that we're always trying to be ahead of the curve. We're always trying to understand all of these changes that could potentially disrupt our economies. And how can we present that to our clients in a very again, intelligent and unique way. I think it's really important to address that uh, in a way that it's effective because we could essentially, you know, build different portfolios, but I think just building the right portfolio for the right theme is kind of something that it's very unique. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the perfect segue then to start talking about GlobalX's approach to thematic investing, building the right portfolio for the right theme. I think it's quite a difficult, complex job. And I wanted to dig into exactly how GlobalX do that. Uh, I watched the video on your Twitter feed where you describe your approach to thematic investing as a two-step process. Uh, the first step was to approach markets and society at large, I think, from the top down. So can you just explain how that works in practice, just to make it a little less abstract for the listeners? Absolutely. So effectively, the definition of thematic investing for us is about identifying those disruptive macro-level events that are changing our economy and uh, by that, we mean that we're essentially trying to identify what a type of disruptive technologies, what type of people and consumer behaviors, and what type of physical environment changes are really offering a structural trends and offering tailwinds that we could potentially capture through an investment vehicle such as an, an ETF, right? So just by trying to understand all of that, we look at things like artificial intelligence, like I mentioned before, or internet of things, or even electric vehicles. And what's important here is that we try to take a holistic approach in trying to understand what are the different uh, ways that we could potentially uh, target that investment opportunity. So for example, in electric vehicles, we're not only looking at electric vehicle manufacturers, for example, although we do have electric and autonomous vehicle ETF, we also look at other different avenues. And for example, our lithium and battery technology ETF is one example, right? Where 
Essentially, we're trying to capture the picks and shovels behind electric vehicles by looking at lithium miners in the supply chain of battery technology. One of the you know, verticals that we believe could really benefit the most as we think about greater electric vehicle adoption. So I think that that's really that top-down approach that we try to take in really understanding uh, what's going to happen in the future and how can we offer that to our clients in an intelligent and unique investment solution. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Before we move on to the second step, you mentioned looking at the supply chain. Do you do you attempt to sort of traverse the supply chain, starting with one original idea or theme and then traverse it horizontally or even vertically? Does that help you come up with new ideas and new themes to produce new products about or on? Or, or is that not really the way you think about it? 100%. We really try to look uh, horizontally and vertically uh, across that given technology or consumer behavior, like I said before. Like I also mentioned, right? Like we're seeing a lot of convergence of multiple technological advancements. And so I think uh, from an investor uh, point of view, we really need to look vertically and horizontally across the multiple different opportunities that a given theme can have. And of course, you can start for something like that. It's very broad, like I said before, like disruptive technology. And then you can try to go more granular into things like big data, for example. And from big data, you can go into even like, cloud computing and cybersecurity. So you could always get a lot more granular. And I think it's really important for investors to start thinking very specifically. And especially in 2022, we realize as investors that we really need to be targeted. We really need to be selective when it comes to investing in disruption and innovation, right? And, and that's something that we think about all the time. For example, I think in 2022, we realized that we can have certain staples within disruptive technology. One example is cybersecurity, where you know companies and governments and even consumers don't spend in cybersecurity because they want. It's really because they need to spend in cybersecurity. And so that resilience that we're seeing in 2022 in terms of cybersecurity spending is something very powerful. So that that's just one example of investing in thematic staples in these type of themes that could continue to benefit despite the uncertain macro environment that, that we're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we spoke to the CEO of uh, Truemark um, Asset Management, the company behind TrueShares ETFs, and they were talking about cybersecurity and how that might be one theme that is particularly resilient to recession and economic downturn for a variety of reasons. But that just leads me to a question, I suppose. Do you think about the, the kind of macro environment, the economic climate when you're coming up with new products and deciding which themes you want to produce an ETF on or about? We do. At the same time, we believe that thematic investing can really mitigate a lot of the cyclical factors that we're seeing in our economy, right? So especially over the long term, for us, thematic investing is really about capturing the opportunities that we believe are going to disrupt many different sectors and industries over the long term. So again, we talked about cybersecurity in 2022 and how resilient that theme has been. Another example is electric vehicles, for example. If you mm -hmm. think about it, electric vehicle sales this year are expected to be greater than 10 million units around the world. That's up from 6.6 .6 million in 2021. So okay. that's over a 50% growth rate. Just in 2022, where basically a lot of the things that could go wrong went wrong, and still electric vehicle adoption continued to grow. So I think that resilience, that 
uh, capacity of many of these thematic or many of these themes to mitigate a lot of the cyclical factors in our economy is quite remarkable. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if we move on to then the second step of your process, which I read was bottom up, uh, how do you identify the companies that will benefit most from the naturalization of the trends that we've identified as part of that first step of your process? Absolutely. So uh, once we, we've identified that disruptive macro-level trend, then the natural next step is what are the companies that stand to benefit from, from that materialization uh, of the trend, right? And, and by that, we really try to look at the pure play companies that really provide that unique exposure, that targeted exposure to that theme, right? And uh, by pure play, we essentially mean that we're really trying to identify companies that generate most of the revenue from the theme in regards. Mm-hmm. This is not something that it's easy to do. This is not something that really it's applicable to every single theme. But generally speaking, most of our thematic ETFs, I would say actually the majority of our thematic ETFs, do have that revenue threshold in that we require every single company within the fund to generate at least 50% of the revenue from the theme in regards. And I think that's what investors are looking for, right? They're trying to get direct exposure to the theme. We talked about cybersecurity before. If we look at our cybersecurity ETF, ticker uh, BUG, we have within the index methodology language that dictates that companies within that fund need to generate at least 50% of the revenue from cybersecurity activities. So I think that's that bottom-up approach that's very important, really trying to identify who could potentially be the winners in that theme. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I, you know, I've spoken to a lot of uh, ETF providers over, over the kind of couple of years now that we've been running this podcast, I've spoken to ARC, and I've spoken to GlobalX before. People can seek out those uh, interviews on the uh, Opto Sessions channel. But um, the question I think I always come back to is how you understand how companies offer that pure play exposure. You mentioned that you look for companies that make 50% of their revenue in any given theme, but what work goes into kind of unpacking what, how they're making the money from that particular theme? Themes are often, but in nature, I suppose they span various industries. So how do you get to the bottom of whether they're actually deriving the majority or at least half of their revenue from that theme? There are several things that we take into account. A few of them are like, for example, the fact that we, we often think about thematic investing as a way to tackle a, a theme from an unconstrained uh, geographical and sector approach, right? So by that, I mean that we're not looking at the zip code of a company when trying to determine what company should go within one of our themes, right? We're really trying to get that global approach to investing in, uh, in thematic investing. If you think about the robotics and artificial intelligence theme, for example, it doesn't really matter if a company is in Japan, if it's in Europe, if it's in, in the United States, we're really trying to capture all of those leading companies around the world that provide that uh, pure play exposure to the theme. And another consideration that we take into account is how do we define a theme, right? What are the sub-segments? What are the sub-themes that are uh, really going to capture holistically the opportunity within a theme, right? So defining a theme is critical for thematic investing. So for example, metaverse. Metaverse is very abstract. How do you go about it, right? So at GlobalX, for example, we look at the hardware manufacturers. What are the hardware manufacturers that could offer uh, technologies that are foundational for 
the metaverse, right? Everything from VR, AR, mixed reality, even GPUs that are kind of key technologies for the development of the metaverse. At the same time, you can have things like creator platforms. Right now, you can think about social media platforms or video game publishers. You can also think about a, a creator economy. What are the companies that are going to enable like an economy within the metaverse? So oftentimes you can think about kind of blockchain and fintech type of companies. So defining those sub-themes within the theme is really a critical step to really try to not only understand the different opportunities, but to capture really the companies that are best positioned to benefit from the materialization of that theme. We hope you're enjoying the episode. For interviews like this every Thursday, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, make sure you give us a star rating and leave guest suggestions along with any other feedback in the review section. Now, back to the show. Got it. Okay, well, back at stock level then, are there consistent characteristics that a business must exhibit to be considered within your investment universe or your investment pool? And, you know, we can move on to fundamentals. We've spoken about where they derive the majority of their revenue, but you know, should a company have a differentiated product? Should they be founder-led? Talk to us about the traits that often characterize these businesses. I think the, the biggest trait is innovation, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Again, we, we really just have that revenue threshold within our, within our funds, within our thematic ETFs. And kind of overlaid to that that we implement is a market cap weighting scheme. So in terms of thinking about the weighting scheme within our ETFs, we have that market cap weighting scheme that essentially allows market dynamics to dictate which companies should have greater weight and a lower weight in our fund. So that's essentially allowing market dynamics to dictate who are going to be the winners and losers. And that's a much better weighting scheme in our view than something like an equal weight strategy where at the end of the day, at each rebalance and reconstitution, you're going to be selling winners and buying losers. And for us, that's really an anti-momentum approach in a very momentum-driven strategy as it is thematic investing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we can only touch on this maybe because there might not be too much to dig into, but I imagine there are fundamentals that often crop up within these businesses' balance sheets. For example, they have strong economic moats, they have significant free cash flow potentially that they can then reinvest as, I don't know, for R&D to fuel the innovation that you were talking about just now. But Are there any consistent fundamentals that seem to crop up across the businesses that you invest in? Oftentimes, I would say from a fundamental perspective, I would say superior revenue growth, to be honest with you. It's something that we we tend to see within many of these companies. It really depends what type of theme you're looking at, because if you look at something more like social media, that's a much more established business model. Mm. Oftentimes, you get to see a lot of positive free cash flow from the companies. But then if you look at something else like blockchain or hydrogen, those companies tend to lack profitability because essentially they're trying to capture growth opportunities. So every kind of all of the revenue that these companies are generating is reinvested in the business. So it really depends on the theme, but one common characteristic across most thematic funds is really that a faster revenue growth than your average a benchmark or broad market index. Got it. Okay. Well, let's revisit the uh, video that I mentioned that I found on your Twitter feed. It's also available on your website. And we'll post a link to that in the episode description as well. Uh, but the second half of that video talks about how you decide which themes get launched as an ETF. 
Um, the first step was labeled high conviction ideas. So firstly, are there any consistent characteristics, again, that typically define a high conviction idea? Absolutely. And trust me, that's one of the questions that we get all the time from, <laughs> from our clients because we have the most comprehensive suite of thematic ETFs in the market. We have actually 36 thematic ETFs. And like you say, high conviction is the kind of the first step that we look at. So essentially, we look at what's the total addressable market, uh, what's the current adoption or penetration level, and where it's going to be uh, that adoption and penetration level in 5, in 10, in 15 years, right? That's really important for us to, to try to understand what's the expected revenue growth rates for the companies within the theme. We were just talking about revenue growth, and I think that's one of the things that we look at usually what we tend to see that faster than average uh, revenue growth rates, it's really an indication of greater adoption of a given technology. And we look at a variety of metrics to really gain that high conviction in the theme. I think this is critical. We're not going to bring to market something that we do not fundamentally believe in. And uh, really all of the products that we have within our entire suite of ETFs is something that we fundamentally believe in. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few points I want to dig into there, but before we do that, might as well do this sequentially, I suppose. The second step is um, of the process, as I understand it, was the theme's investability. So firstly, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Great question. So effectively, we mean what's the capacity of inversion in the team right? or of investing in the team? So for example, what's the number of companies available in the public market to really provide that pure play exposure to the theme, right? So in the ETF industry, that really means that we need at least 20 to 25 publicly traded companies to uh, bring that ETF to market on the ETF wrapper, of course. So I think that's something that oftentimes is a deal breaker, as you can imagine, uh, because we're tracking other themes right now, for example, space technology. Uh, but the reality is that there are only five, six, seven publicly traded companies out there that it create really a constraint for us to bring that uh, thematic ETF to market. There are other ETF issuers that have brought kind of that theme to market. But like I said before, at GlobalX, we really want to provide that pure play exposure because that's really what we believe clients are looking for. Yeah, got it. I wonder then whether you pay any attention to the diversity of a theme. And I suppose what I mean by that is, is a theme that you invest in or that you deem investable often made up of multiple verticals? Is there a minimum number of different segments that you want a particular theme to be made up of? Do you, do you think about the diversification of the trend on, on kind of a, a, a top level, I suppose? Within the theme, yes. Like uh, clearly, uh, again, we we always take the approach of identifying the universe of companies within the theme. We're not trying to pick winners and losers. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to really provide exposure to the universe of leading companies within the theme. Yeah. And like I mentioned before, by implementing that market cap weighting scheme, effectively, we're always going to be owning more of what the market is recognizing. Uh, the leading companies within the theme, and at the same time, the companies that might not be recognized as as winners in a theme, right? So I think that's really an important step we, within the construction of these thematic ETFs. Yeah, got it. And just to, I guess, provide a comparison of two funds that um, I've been reading about on your website, you've got your FinTech ETF, ticker is FINCS, F-I-N-X. Uh, and then you've got in my view, and perhaps you can you can tell me if this is correct, uh, a more a far more niche theme 
in um i mean we we can pick a number of examples but let's pick video games and esports that that feels niche in its purview but they have obviously both been deemed investable by global x how do you kind of weigh that in terms of the diversity again of of the trend are you comfortable that video games and esports provides a big enough pool of assets for investors to get into versus a, a far more again in my view you can tell me if i'm wrong here a far more diverse theme in fintech fintech is definitely broader in that it touches so many different segments of our economy right just by thinking about mobile payments and thinking about online retail activity and even offline retail activity fintech is oftentimes there so definitely by default it touches in our economy as a whole however Video games and esports is really a very large addressable market. Like I said before, one of the key characteristics that we look at is that total addressable market. And right now we're talking about a $200 billion industry that just for context is larger than uh, the, the movies industry and the professional sports industries combined, right? Wow. I'm a soccer fan and uh, I'm following the World Cup, by the way. <laughs> and, I, and we can see that video games and esports it far outpays the revenues generated by something like soccer, for example. Mm. And that, that's really mind-blowing and mesmerizing from an investment point of view and something where, again, it gives us that high conviction to bring that product to market. At the same time, uh, just to, to give you some more context in that theme, we're seeing now new revenue streams. You know, 20, 30 years ago when we were playing video games, we we had to pay for the video game. We had to go to the store. We had to then go back home and play that video game. Right now, people can really play video games for free, and then monetization happens as a, you know players and gamers buy things like new skins or new weapons or new missions, new 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 many di uh, different things that now create new sources of revenue for video game publishers. So that's something that it really didn't exist 20 years ago. And it's a new kind of form of revenues that's transforming the business model of video game companies. So I think th that's just one of the things that we look at. Again, like I said before, it's it's why we had really very high conviction in, in, in that thematic. Great. Okay. Well, the final step then to return to that process of how you decide which themes get launched as an ETF. Uh, was to identify themes with a long-term time horizon. So naturally, this will differ, I imagine, anyway, theme to theme. But what do GlobalX consider long-term? Is there a minimum requirement, for example? I would say, generally speaking, 10, 15 years. I think, again, we're really trying to invest for the long-term. And again, the idea here is that we, we understand that there might be macro-level events that could impact the market in a given year, for example, 2022. But over the long term, if we have the high conviction in the theme and that we understand that there are changes that are going to be very transformative, just having that long-term uh, horizon when it comes to investing is critical, right? I talked about electric vehicles before. I think we all can agree that the future of the transportation is going to be electric. We could argue when that's going to happen, when electric vehicles will represent more than 50% of total car sales. Could it be 2030, 2035, 2040? We could argue about that, but we know that that's going to happen. So that really having that long-term horizon is really important here. Yeah, and I imagine then, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that's what I suppose would make you comfortable with, I mean, equities this year, for example, haven't performed particularly well. 
versus other assets. Um, and obviously, the more growth-oriented assets versus more defensive plays have performed even worse than that on the whole. Obviously, there are a few exceptions, some of which we've already touched on. Does that long-term time horizon, though, kind of give you comfort that these are secular trends less likely to get bogged down into any kind of cyclical trends or behavior and therefore they ultimately will win out but the time horizon that long-term time horizon is ultimately going to be key absolutely and and clearly it's challenging to to look at performance and seeing some of these strategies 30 35 percent down on on the year but again if you look at the fundamentals and what the companies are doing you can continue to see that resilience right so clearly you're seeing a lot of a big multiple compression on on many of these themes. From an investment standpoint, we are really seeing clients now more interested in thematic investing than ever before. Actually, in 2020, 2021, we had a lot of clients that believed in the thematic story that understand that the future is going to offer many different opportunities. And many of those are really within the thematic ecosystem, but they were concerned about valuations, for example. Right now, when you see many themes like fintech, like cybersecurity, there are 30-50% down in terms of valuation multiples, then it really becomes a very attractive investment opportunity, especially if you have that long-term horizon, right? Because like I said before, these are themes that are going to play out over the long term. And now that we have that kind of uh, discounted valuation over the short term, it could potentially be a really good entry point for many of these thematic strategies. Absolutely. And I think you've answered my next question. Perhaps you can flesh it out. And my next question was going to be, does actually the current environment then make you more bullish because of some of the valuations you're seeing from across your universe? It does. And not only because of the valuations. Clearly, if you're an investor, you look at valuations, you always try to time what's going to be the best entry point, which is very challenging to do. But as an investor, you always try to to do that. But what makes me more bullish or just to have higher conviction in many of these themes is that, again, even in 2022, where we have higher inflation, rising rates, geopolitical tension around the world, you still see a lot of these trends continue to do what they're supposed to do, right? And it's just gaining adoption, continue to see companies growing not only the, their top line revenue, but seeing greater adoption of their different technologies that they're offering. And I think that's what really gives us a very high conviction in many of these themes. And today we touch on many of those, everything from electric vehicles to kind of the supply chain within electric vehicles like lithium and battery technology, even cybersecurity, robotics, all of these themes that are really uh, very well positioned to benefit over the next 10, 15 uh, years or more. Mm. Yeah, I completely see what you mean. And to kind of flesh out, I suppose, your feelings about time horizon, um, you speak, I think, about on your website, possibly again in the video that I mentioned earlier, you talk about a longer runway to invest and that being incredibly important. Other firms, I think it's safe to say, are comfortable offering products that don't necessarily have that longer runway and possibly offer products that offer exposure to more fashionable and possibly overhyped trends. That doesn't seem to be the strategy or even the philosophy for Global X. Would I be right in saying that? And perhaps you can give me a bit more substance uh, to, to that point. 
you're, you're totally right. Clearly, there are many kind of short-term trends that sometimes uh, investors might think, hey, this is a thematic opportunity. This is something that could play out in the very short term. And something that we've realized is that thematic investing is not really about those short-term trends. You know, for example, back in 2019, we, we had a lot of comments around potentially like a trade war ETF because we, we have the so-called trade war between China and the United States. And potentially you could, you could determine what companies could benefit, what companies could actually get hurt. But again, those are things that could happen in the very short term. We didn't have any sort of conviction in the long term that that could actually play out, especially around policies and politics. It's really hard to uh, have a high conviction in something over the long term. And that's why we really focus, again, on kind of three major categories, like I said before, kind of disruptive technologies, changes in people and consumer behavior, and finally, kind of the physical environment and how it's transforming. If we focus on those different categories, I think we're going to have very good chances to identify many different uh, disruptive or thematic opportunities over the long term. Yeah, got it. Completely agree. Okay, well, my final question before we move on to our quickfire questions is uh, at Opto, uh, our tagline actually is invest in the next big idea. We have taken a thematic focus to all of the content that we put out on our website and in our newsletter as well. So... I guess I want to know from you what the next big idea is, but potentially whether I can sort of phrase that question slightly differently. There must be themes that GlobalX are thinking about. Possibly they haven't made it into a product or an ETF at this point in time, but ones that you're thinking about potentially on the periphery that you're doing your due diligence on, I suppose, and that potentially might come to market further down the line. Perhaps there's an idea that fits into that category. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And trust me, something that we think about all the time, right? What's that next big idea? What's that next, you know, disruptive technology that could change the world? And I think uh, very recently we introduced an ETF for disruptive materials, not only here in the United States, but also in the European market under the usage structure and disruptive materials for future metals, however you want to call them are really kind of all of these materials that are going to be critical for future and clean technologies, right? Right now, of course, we were living in a world purely based on fossil fuels. However, we're starting to see a rapid growth in adoption of renewable energy sources. Actually, around 90% of the capacity additions of electricity during the next 10 years are going to be solar and wind. So as an investor, we like to think, okay, how can we potentially benefit from, from that, right? And just accessing the disruptive materials, all of these materials that are very well positioned to benefit from that adoption, materials such as lithium, like I said before, or nickel, mm. or manganese, even copper, rare earth, and a few others. These are the materials that could really benefit because as you think about solar, wind, uh, battery technology, even uh, robotics, all of these uh, materials are in a way integrated into the construction of any of these technologies. So I think that's one of the ideas where not only we have very high conviction, but at the same time, we're in the very early stages of adoption of many of these materials. Just for context, if you look at lithium, for example, in 2021, you had about 500,000 metric tons of lithium demand around the world. By 2030, 
that number is going to increase by 6x. We're expecting around 3 million metric tons of lithium demand by 2030. So how do you capture that? You know, just by looking at lithium miners is probably the best way to capture that opportunity. And that combined with other type of materials, it really offers a very compelling investment opportunity here. And one where, like I said before, we have a very high conviction in uh, at the moment. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I think I saw an infographic that you produced in partnership with Visual Capitalist on your Twitter feed. Again, we'll put a link to that um, in the episode description because that gives a really good overview of the the materials that you're talking about and descriptions for each and their potential applications as well. So I'll definitely link to that in the episode description. But just to pick up on that before we do move on to the quick fire question round, do you again think about even in that space, the, the value chain, or are you mostly focusing on the miners, the, the companies actually extracting these materials? In this very specific case, it's really looking at the companies extracting and processing all of these materials, right? Like I said before, if you look at our LIT ETF, that's again, the lithium and battery technology ETF, that takes a, a holistic approach of looking at the supply chain from lithium miners to, to the companies that are processing the lithium into the specialty chemical to the companies integrated within the battery technology ecosystem. And again, it's really taking at that holistic approach, whereas kind of our disruptive material CTF is really just looking at those companies that either extract or process these disruptive materials. And again, spend a lot of time trying to identify what's the best way to capture the opportunity. And I think when it comes to disruptive materials, probably miners are the companies that are best positioned to benefit not only from price increases in the underlying uh, raw materials or commodities, but at the same time from the greater demand, right? So if you combine those two things and you start looking at the top line revenue growth of the companies, you have higher prices and higher volumes as, you know, these companies continue to increase the supply. And now you're seeing, you know, growth rates in the triple digit range. For example, if you look at lithium miners in 2022, revenue growth rates are greater than 100% in most cases. That's something very rare. Again, 2022, where you have a very challenging year, you have lithium miners growing top-line revenue growth rate, in many cases, more than 100%. That's telling you the kind of how resilient some of these things can be and kind of the potential opportunities in the future as well. Yeah, fantastic. And a nice insight, I think, to end the main body of the interview on. Let's move on then to our Quick fire question round. So anyone that's listened to the podcast before, these are five questions. We don't change them for any interviewee. They're more generic, but hopefully we'll get some interesting insights and learn a bit more about you at the same time. The first question, in your opinion, what is the most frequent mistake investors make? I would say that uh, myopic fixation in the short term. Um, sometimes we, we really want to try to identify what's that key opportunity in the very short term and just capitalize on that, uh, you know, kind of just trading in and out. And I think that's very challenging to do. You can definitely be successful at it a few times, but I think over the long term, uh, that can potentially be one of the major mistakes that I've seen. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Okay, question two then. Where do you go for investment or economic insights? Do you read any specific publishers, for example? Um, I love podcasts. So uh, in addition to what you guys do, which again, I, I listen to it quite frequently. Another very w- a good podcast is Animal Spirits from uh, Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson, for example, yeah. where you get a lot of kind of more that macroeconomic insights and less of the kind of short term 
uh, or, or very niche type of uh, investment opportunities. Yeah, yeah, I listen to it myself sometimes. That's a really great podcast. Okay, question three. Uh, this can often be a bit tricky, but let's see what you say. What is the most memorable moment from your career to date? Is there one memory that particularly sticks in your mind? <laughs> That's a good one. It could be good or bad, right? Um, <laughs> and this might sound a little bit cheesy even, but you know, honestly, like it, the first time my parents sent me an article where I was quoted on, uh, I think that uh, that really showed kind of, it was a very proud moment that, that I had uh, very early on on, on my career um, and something that I can remember quite vividly. Penultimate question then. If you could go back in time, is there a top tip you would give to your younger self? One bit of advice. Uh, that's also a tough one, but I would say um, write down your goals, put pencil to paper mm. and, and mm. work towards those goals. I think that's something that always worked for me, like just having that vision, putting that into paper and, and work towards uh, those goals. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, our final question. This is sort of the opto question. We aim to speak to the investors, the ETF houses that are outperforming benchmark returns and doing something a bit different. Um, so we ask everyone, what is an investor's best source of alpha? And to give you a bit more explanation on that, if you could narrow it down to one thing, where do you think the great investors derive their outperformance? I think for me, uh, honestly, is that a good investor is really able to explain uh, his or, or her investment in a very simple way, right? So I think understand mm -hmm. the businesses you're investing in, understanding kind of if it's kind of macro or, or, or more micro, it's really understanding that investment opportunity. If you're not, not able to articulate or explain that in a very simple way, it's probably not uh, a great investment opportunity for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a fantastic message to end on. And that just leads me to say, thank you very much, Pedro, for joining us on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, Hayden. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a quick note before we sign off. If you're looking for an easily digestible daily update on the markets, this might be of interest. Opto Updates is our short newsletter sent every day during the trading week, giving you a bulleted list of the top seven stories from the global stock markets. We've done the hard work for you, highlighting relevant opportunities and trends. And in addition, we'll also keep you notified of any new products, stock reports or webinars from the Opto world. If you're interested, sign up using the link in the show notes. And thanks also to CoFruition for consulting on and producing the show. Until next time. Go fruition.